Hey, faithful listener, thanks for tuning in to the P40 Ministries daily podcast. This podcast is dedicated to helping you grow spiritually so you can grow personally. Let's grow together by building a consistent Bible reading routine. This is Jen, your host, and today we will be discussing the book of Exodus. Happy Wednesday, friends and faithful listeners. You have tuned into the P40 Ministries podcast, and my name is Jen, and I am the host of the P40 Ministries podcast, and I am here to talk about the Bible with you guys this morning. And we're going to be talking about Exodus chapter 38 today, the entire chapter, but we're not going to be reading the entire thing, mainly because, let's see here, it is... Uh, Well, it's not that long. It's 31 verses long, but that is quite a lot to read for me. So I'm going to really just be doing some highlights of this entire chapter for you guys. But as I always say, please go back and read it on your own, because I think that that is very important, especially if we're discussing the Bible here today. You know, it's, it's very important for you to check what I am saying by reading it yourself. But let's go ahead and discuss this today. So it'll be Exodus 38. So when we heard the episode with Alan the other day, because he came on the podcast Monday, if you guys missed that episode, please go back and listen to it because it was really, really good. I thought it was great. Uh, And he got on the podcast to talk about this man named Bezalel. And he was a guy that, uh, you know, was doing this entire project for service of God and he was doing it very well and he was an artist and he was the overseer of this uh, entire project and he was a bricklayer and he was uh, basically a bronze worker and gold worker and he did everything. He was an embroiderer. He was a contractor. He did everything. This guy was insanely good because God's spirit was with Bazalel in order for him to uh, be able to do everything that he had to do. So that's what we talked about the other day with Alan, and we actually talked about two chapters with Alan the other day. Well, one and a half chapters with Alan the other day. And so continuing on into Exodus 38, all the way to the end of the chapter, it says that uh, Bezalel made the altar of burnt offering of acacia wood, and uh, he did it exactly the way God wanted him to do it. And you know, since Bezalel was such a probably a master at what he was doing with a lot of this stuff because God's spirit helped him to accomplish this stuff. He probably did have some artistic freedom to do some of this stuff. And and actually one of the artistic freedoms that he had was actually here in verse 8. It says that Bezalel made the basin of bronze and its base of bronze out of the mirrors of the ministering women who ministered at the door of the tent of meeting. So that's one verse I'd like to highlight. This is talking about some artistic freedom that Bezalel actually had. When the basin was made, do you remember what the basin was? We, we talked about that. The basin was where the priests would have to come and wash their hands and wash their feet before they ministered to God. So it was a, I, I imagine it as like a bird bath. <laughs> that's what I think of it as. And I don't know, maybe it looked like that, maybe it didn't, but it was just a basin that had some water in it and the water would have to be cleaned. So it was perfect for the priests to, you know, do their uh, 
do all of their service to God outside when they had to sacrifice the animals, the offerings. And then, you know, their hands would be bloody. They would walk inside the tent of meeting and they would wash their hands there before ministering to God. So that's what this basin was meant for. It was meant as a purification ritual for these priests. But it says here, you know, God didn't give legitimate specifications for uh, this bronze basin. But Bazalel took some artistic freedom and, and used the mirrors. So these would have been super polished bronze mirrors from these women here. And he used these mirrors to create this basin. So I can imagine that this basin was super shiny, super beautiful. You know, it, I mean, if, if it's made out of mirrors, like such polished bronze that you can see yourself through it. I mean, that alone, we could speculate for hours about, <laughs> we could speculate for hours about uh, the um, significance of that. But I'm not going to really go into that. But I mean, this would just be a very beautiful basin. It would be shiny. It would be bronze. It would be filled with water. It would be a place where the priests could come to get clean. But one other thing I want to mention here about these bronze mirrors is it says it came from the ministering women who ministered at the door of the tent of meeting. Uh, we don't often see ministering women in the Bible. But here's uh, as an example of some ministering women. So these women were probably women that would go and help the priests or minister in some way. Maybe they made the showbread. I don't know what they did. We don't know. We just know that there were women there ministering in some way or another. And we often think that, you know, God kind of leaves women out a little bit. We, we look at the Old Testament. And we're like, oh, the Old Testament is sexist. Well, I mean, no. <laughs> I mean, we're all created in God's image, you know? So it's it irks me a little bit when people um when people think that the Bible is sexist. The culture back then might have been sexist, but I do not believe God is sexist in any way. And here's my feminist coming out a little bit. <laughs> you know, if uh, anybody tells you that you can't do ministry at your church because you're a woman or you know, women are only meant to teach children or something like that. I, I don't agree with that. I personally don't believe, going off on a rabbit trail, that women should be head preachers. I don't believe that. And when I get more into that, I will talk more about my belief on that. But I don't think there's anything wrong with women being deaconesses or helping out at the church in any way. It doesn't have to be with children. I mean, I'm a assistant worship leader at my church. You know, sometimes I go up there. And I lead worship for the entire congregation when the worship leader takes a day off. And I could probably lead worship more if I wanted to, but I don't really want to. <laughs> That's my personal thing. I don't really want to lead worship that often. It's not, my, uh, it's not my favorite thing to do. But my point is, there are definitely roles for women in the church. But, you know, moving forward here from verses 9 all the way to 20, it talks about uh, how this uh, Bezalel made the court for the temple and he made the south side and he, he made uh, all this linen and beautiful stuff and he did it all very well. You know, everything that 
this Bazalel guy is doing, he did super well. And, you know, he had people under him. It wasn't just him doing all of this stuff and that's that. And this chapter is kind of interesting because it does mention people who were, who were under him that helped out. For example, the ministering women helped out. And then it also says, if you go down a little bit further, that Aholiab was with him. And this Aholiab guy also helped out. And uh, Aholiab probably was the overseer of the um, curtains and the embroidery section. (laughs) And let's see, what else did he do? He was also an engraver, this Aholiab guy. So Bezalel and Aholiab kind of shared a little bit of uh, the duties and the responsibilities. I think that Bezalel, from what my understanding of Bazalel is he was kind of the head guy and maybe Aholiab was like his right hand man that's kind of what it sounds like to me personally but there definitely were people that helped out Bazalel and Aholiab I mean they were the people that were helping and, and working with their hands and doing whatever else and uh, just following Bazalel's instructions to a T because Bazalel had that spirit on him just like I, I believe Aholiab also did they had the spirit of God on them so that they could interpret what God was saying and make it uh, real, make it come to life a little bit. So it says here that, um, you know, he makes the court, the outer court, and then he made the sides of the, the tent of meeting. And you remember there was no top to the tent of meeting. It was literally a tent. So the poles that would hold the tent up were made out of all sorts of different metals and materials, and they were very beautiful. And then that big giant curtain, or three curtains, would drape over the top. And it would drape over the top so much that it would actually um, go down and like uh, cover everything. You wouldn't be able to see any part of the inside of the tent of meeting from the outside of it. And the inside was really only for God's presence. And then the... Uh, holy place was for the priests and then the most holy place was only for the high priest once a year and we'll talk more about that later on but after this it says that Bezalel and Aholiab were um you know very skillful workmen who did all this beautiful stuff it says specifically in 20 verse 22 that Bezalel the son of Uri the son of Hur of the tribe of Judah made all that Yahweh had commanded Moses So he did it well, and he was faithful, and he was obedient. You know, he had some artistic uh, freedom, but he did not use it so much that he just uh, went off the rails and did whatever he wanted. No, he followed God's instructions, and he did it in a very beautiful way. Now, it talks here in verse, let's see here, verse 21 about this man named Ithamar, And Ithamar was actually the son of Aaron, who was supposed to be the high priest or was about to be the high priest. So this was Moses's uh, nephew, Ithamar. And Ithamar had a gift of organization. So that's what Ithamar's role was. He would organize all the stuff. So he was like the overseer of all of the materials that were donated to the temple. Ithamar would oversee them. He would give the... Bezalel and his workmen, whatever they needed to make the uh, the temple, and the, I'm sorry, the tent of meeting. I keep calling it the temple, but Ithamar was skilled and gifted in organization. So it's interesting how we see many different roles at 
play here just in this one chapter. Bezalel was kind of a master of all trades, but because he had a Holiab, who was the engraver and more of the artist kind of dude, it sounds to me like Bezalel was more of the just contract guy. <laughs> he was the guy to go see when something needed done. So he was a great leader of doing this stuff, and he was also probably more of the um, the builder and the architect and and uh, that kind of guy. And then Aholiab was more of the artist. And then it talks about Ithamar, whose gift was organization. So there's always a role for you. It doesn't matter what it is. It doesn't matter what you're good at. You can find a place for your gift. I remember reading in Jeremiah recently. I read Jeremiah 45. And it talked about this man named Baruch in Jeremiah 45. Now, Baruch was actually the author of Jeremiah. Jeremiah did not pen Jeremiah. Baruch did. And it's stated in scripture that Baruch wanted more. He wanted more for himself. So he was not satisfied that he was given the gift of writing. Many people believe that Baruch wanted what Jeremiah had. You know, Jeremiah's gift was the gift of prophecy, of being able to hear God's voice and talk to the people. You know, people think that uh, Baruch wanted that same gift. And in Jeremiah 45, God kind of uh, reprimands Baruch. And he says, you know, don't hope for better things for yourself. Don't do that. That's what God specifically says to Baruch. And Baruch actually means blessed. God had blessed Baruch with the gift that he was given, even though Baruch wanted more. So it's important that, that we don't strive for showier kinds of gifts. Many people want to be in the spotlight. But if all of us were in the spotlight, there would be no people that worked behind the scenes and uh, did organizational tasks or anything like that. And it's, fun that I, it's funny that I'm saying that because years ago, I always wanted to be in the spotlight. I love being in the spotlight. I, that's a, that's a uh, fault of mine. I like it a little too much. And it's funny because I just mentioned a few minutes ago that I don't actually enjoy leading worship at my church. I used to always think that I would because it's, it's literally in the spotlight. And I mean, I, I didn't have the right heart about it back then. You know, it's supposed to be a... Uh, <laughs> <laughs> a time of worship to God, not a time that you're in the spotlight and everybody's looking at you. But, you know, I realized recently this year, actually, becoming the worship intern, that I actually gain more satisfaction when I'm behind the scenes and no one knows that I'm doing anything. And it's actually a lot of fun. I, I do some of the light shows. I do some of the um, creative elements for the services. No one knows who does them. It's often me and uh, Mark, my uh, the guy I work with. But, you know, it, it's a lot of fun just sitting back and not being in spotlight and getting some of those tasks done that, uh, you know, if I was constantly in the spotlight, I wouldn't be doing all the, that stuff. So that's really enjoyable for me personally. And something that I've been learning over the years is that sometimes those gifts that you've been given that aren't necessarily like uh, super flamboyant and out in front of people out in the spotlight are sometimes the funnest and best gifts that you can have. And I've learned that just doing those little things behind the scenes really, really add 
to the worship service on Sundays. It's not just the music. It's the elements that go into the music as well. You know, the slideshow, the lights, uh, the sound equipment, everything that helps make a professional and good sounding uh, worship service. So that's kind of my little pep talk for you guys today. (laughs) Be happy with the gift you've been given, you know, because God gave that to you for a reason and you can definitely find a use for it. But moving forward here, it talks about the gold and the silver and the bronze that was given to, um, to this project by the, the people of Israel. And I read somewhere that this entire project nowadays in American money would have been probably around 10 million to 15 million bucks nowadays. Now, if you think of a tribe of about 2 million people back in those days, this wouldn't, wouldn't have been very hard for people to donate all that stuff, especially since the Israelites were pretty rich. Don't forget, they, uh, I, I've mentioned this several times, but they got tons of stuff from Egypt when they left because the Egyptian people were practically paying them to leave. <laughs> I just, I find that funny every time I say it. But the Egyptian people wanted the Israelites out of there so bad because of all of the plagues that God had put on the Egyptian nation. The people wanted the Israelites out of there. They were scared of God. They were scared of the Israelites. And so they they gave the Israelites all this stuff. They gave them gold and silver and bronze and jewelry and clothing. It says that they gave them so much stuff. So the Israelites were rich. They were super rich all of a sudden. They went from slaves to very rich overnight. They had all this stuff, but they were living in the middle of a desert in the wilderness. What were they going to do with all this money? So this was the perfect place to donate this stuff to, is to God's temple. And uh, between the entire nation of Israel, they were easily able to give all of this um, this stuff to this project that was very important to them. And it says actually in in the last couple chapters that we talked about that there was too much stuff. The people just kept giving and giving and giving, and finally Moses had to be like, "Yeah, enough, enough. You know, we have way too much. Don't give any more stuff." And that's kind of how this chapter ends. It just talks about at the very end um, where Bezalel finished up uh, making the hooks for the pillars and the sockets for the doors of meeting and all the little the little things that go into the actual tent itself is kind of where this ends. But friends and faithful listeners, join me on uh, Friday and we're going to talk about Exodus 39 and we're going to finish out Exodus 39 on Friday. And you know what? Fun fact, since Christmas is next Saturday, uh, you know, we're going to actually finish up all of Exodus next week. And Friday, I will not have a normal episode. I'm going to be doing a Christmas special on Friday night, Saturday morning at midnight. This is something that I did last year as well. And so I'm very excited about it. I don't have all the details. lined up yet for what I'm going to do specifically, but please join in midnight of December 24th. For the Christmas break, I am not, I am actually going to take a couple days off from the podcast, but don't worry. I'll be back the Wednesday after Christmas. So I'm going to take that Monday and Tuesday off after Christmas. And Wednesday, the P40 Ministries podcast will be back with season three. 
Woohoo! Season 3! Isn't that crazy? I can't believe that Season 3 is, like, here. We're gonna be talking about Leviticus. We only have two more chapters of Exodus, and then we're done. Leviticus is, uh, is coming up. But guys, as I say at the end of every single podcast episode, happy listening, and God bless. Thank you.